Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry, and this is Stuff You Should Know in the long-running, never-ending law enforcement suite. Another addition to that. Boy, it's got to be close to done, huh? I think that every time. <laughs> In fact, I, I had to check. I was like, I could have sworn we had done this one. No. But we didn't. I guess we just did service dogs. We did service dogs. dogs. Or service dogs in general. Did we do service dogs or guide dogs? I don't remember. I can't remember. <clears throat> that was a great, great one. I always love talking about dogs. Yep. In fact, we should just do one on dogs. Very I interesting. I can't believe we haven't. Yeah, it's pretty pretty fascinating the <clears throat> history and the breeds and how that all works and yes so yeah this is about specific dogs more often than not german shepherds and belgian malois uh don't forget about the beagle brigade oh yeah those are so cute <laughs> the cutest little service brigade on the planet love little beagles until they start howling but other than that they're very cute that's right do they howl more than most dogs beagles no, but when they do, they can howl. Oh, okay. They're, they're like a hound. They remember the hounds. Yeah, my two um, howl at the uh, sirens that go by. Yeah, because it's like... But that's the only an, thing. Uh, ...an howling machine to them. Yeah. I love it, though. I think it's great. Gotcha. Because it's over before you know it, and it's... <clears throat> I don't know. I just like it. You don't have a beagle, do you? No. But they howl. Yeah, most dogs howl. Huh. It's not like a beagle trait. I thought it was. <laughs> Beagles and hounds and basset hounds, bloodhounds. Oh, I grew up with a uh, basset hound. It was pretty great. At, at your house? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was Bo. He was awesome. He used to trip on his ears. He used to step, he'd <laughs> step on them. <laughs> Those poor dogs. <laughs> yeah. That's back when I knew better and got like, you know, I want this breed of a dog. Let's go buy one. Right. Now, you know, you rescue the mutt from the kennel. That's how you should get a dog. Sure. All right, I'm off my soapbox. So, like I was saying, Malinois, mm-hmm. uh, German Shepherds, Labs, police dogs, and how and little um, beagles. Mainly German Shepherds, though. Yeah, from what I've seen. <clears throat> well, apparently the Belgian ones are pretty. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm saying it right. Malinois. Well, that's where it all started. In Belgium. Yep. Yeah, let's start with the history of police dogs, man, because while they are pretty ubiquitous here in the United States these days, you always see like a car that says like canine unit or whatever. Yeah. Um, they like to release the dogs a lot these days on protests, which is pretty disheartening. Sure. Um, that's actually fairly recent, at least in the United States. Europe has been doing this for a long time. Yeah, the first uh, recorded police dogs were in France. Uh, in the 14th century, they guarded dock installations. Oh, yeah. And then uh, in 1888, London, the London Metropolitan Police Force, first used bloodhounds to work the Jack the Ripper case. Really? Man, a lot of stuff came out of that case. Yeah. A forensics. lot of things like forensics that we're using today still and shouldn't be came sure. out of that case. And they still couldn't catch them. No. Never yeah. figured it out. Did you ever see that... Um, Oh, uh, what was the guy from Knight Rider's name? I can't, the Hoff. What's his full name? Hasselhoff? Yeah, David Hasselhoff. He goes by the Hoff, though. Yeah. Um, he did it one where, uh, the Tower Bridge or the London Bridge was, um, 
rebuilt in at like um in Arizona. What's that famous lake in Arizona, the resort lake? Mm, Habitu? Yes. They rebuilt the London Bridge at Lake Havasu, and Jack the Ripper's ghost came with it and started killing everybody. Was that a, what, like a TV movie? I think it was made for TV. It certainly has a production value of made for TV movie. And Hasselhoff is the police detective with the bad attitude who's the only guy with the chops to solve this case. Yeah. And everybody thinks it's crazy because he's like, it's Jack the Ripper's ghost. It was, I saw it when I was a kid, and I think it's on like Amazon Prime, so it's streaming for free. I don't remember what it's called, but it's on there. Man, I got to seek that one out. <clears throat> uh, that's crazy. And that was back in his Night Rider heyday, I guess. Yeah, he was clearly Pre- riding high. Pre Baywatch, even, I guess. Yeah? Oh, I forgot he was on Baywatch, wasn't he? I mean, that's. Well, he made his name all over the place. Sure. On stage, screen. Yeah, now he's a singer in Germany. <laughs> uh, so, Belgium, in Ghent, G H E N T, Belgium. Um, they first started using about uh, 10 years later than London in 1899, and they actually had a program set up. Yeah. Like the first real police dog program, and it was a big success. Uh, and in uh, October of 1907, New York Police Department uh, chief, I guess, George Wakefield, went to Ghent in Belgium and came back with five dogs. They just followed him home. Started using them in New York City in 1908. Yeah, and then... Uh New Jersey followed suit very quickly, and so did Detroit. The thing is, is all of these um, police canine units were disbanded within a few years because they didn't know how to train the dogs properly. Yeah, I think uh, the the thing I saw said from 1951 to 1954, there were no police dogs in the United States. And then later in the 1950s, they started coming back. In the 1970s, they became really widespread as far as... uh, Many municipalities having a canine unit. Yeah. Um, and uh, initially it was like, oh, I, I need a police dog. You have a German shepherd and uh, leave it to me in your will. That was like a police dog arrangement for a while. And yeah. Finally, <clears throat> law enforcement agencies around the country, uh, apparently 2001 set off a huge boom in demand for police dogs. That's, oh, sure. that's one of the big reasons why they're so ubiquitous today. Although they've been in use a lot longer than that. Yeah. Um, but in any small town now, you're going to find like at least one canine unit post 9-11. Right. Bomb sniffers. Right. So, but at some point they figured out the ones that they're doing in Europe, let's just import them from there because they know what they're doing in yeah. Belgium and uh, Holland and, and other areas where they have these long-standing police training programs where you can buy a certified dog, and then you actually teach the trainer how to how to deal with that dog rather than the trainer training the dog because the dog already comes trained and ready to go. Well, there's still a lot more training you have to do once you get them over here. But um, from what I read, it's like eighty five hundred bucks to buy the certified dog, and then another ten grand to train them in the United States. Oh, really? But they pay for themselves. Well, they do because they're usually paid for with drug money that has been seized. Sometimes by um, by drugs that have been sniffed out by police dogs. So the police yeah. dogs are generating income to buy other yeah. police dogs, among other things. Yeah, and fat dog houses and, <clears throat> and great treats, right. like the frozen ice cream treats that dogs love so much. Yeah. I bet canines get those. Uh, why do they use dogs? Uh, one good reason is because their sense of smell is about 50 times more sensitive than a human's, which 
that you don't need any more reason than that. Right. Because they can smell. They, uh, I think this is the Grabster wrote this one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually interviewed a canine team, uh, the, the human part of that team, in uh, New York. And he said that his dog, Breston, found a shipment of marijuana in heat-sealed mylar bags inside plastic-lined crates sealed with foam sealant inside a closed storage garage. With a cold. Yeah. <laughs> Half asleep. So that's that's a little bit, uh, that'll tell you a little bit about the sensitivity of a dog's nose. It's pretty amazing. They don't get confused. Uh, you can you can bury your drugs in coffee or wrap them in perfume, and the dog will still go, no, no, I know what's in there. Nice try. Right. Now let me bite your crotch. <laughs> and the reason they are, their noses are so sensitive is they had something like, um, like 200 million olfactory receptors. Crazy. Where we have something like 5 million. Yeah, we're, we're dummies in the smell department. <clears throat> right. So, um, Dogs are also used not just for sniffing stuff out, whether it be drugs or bombs or whatever. They're also used as patrol dogs. Yeah. Um, which basically means that they're attack dogs at the ready. Yeah. Um, and apparently just the very presence of a, a dog can keep a physical confrontation from taking place or escalating. Oh, yeah. I've seen it on cops. When they get that dog out, <clears throat> you most often see the, the dude go, okay. <laughs> I'll get, where do you want me? Because <laughs> they've got that dog barking and they don't, I don't know. It's weird that being beaten down by a, a human isn't enough, but that dog is, is scary. Yeah. You know? Well, it, you can't really reason with the dog. You well, can't be like enough. But yeah, what am I saying? I don't know if you can reason with a cop that's beating <laughs> you down either. But. So with the, um, with the dog, actually, they fall into this, um, spectrum of, uh, escalation of violence that's allowable among law enforcement. Yeah. And they actually come after the baton, but before the cop draws his gun. Right. So baton doesn't work. You can release the dog. The dog doesn't work. You can pull your gun. And then if that doesn't work, you can pull the trigger. That's the uh, continuum of violence. <laughs> Is that what it's called yeah, in the book? seriously. Uh, continuum of force. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Big difference. Yeah. Let's just call it violence. <laughs> um, they're not lullabying people to uh, sleep and putting them in the police car. You know what I mean? Uh, like we said, it's usually German shepherds. Um, sometimes they use labs now, Labrador retrievers. Uh, what is that called again? You said it once before. The Belgian. Malinois. Uh, Malinois. And, of course, the Beagles, uh, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Uh, they are all well-suited to police doggery uh, work. And they can uh, get them all over the place. Like you said, sometimes they're donated. Uh, but by and large, if you want a really cracked police dog, you still need to go to Europe. It's, right. wor- it's worth the money, Yeah, apparently, because if there are issues later on in court uh, about the dog, um, apparently the first thing defense attorneys will say is, your papers, please. Yeah, and like they want to see this dog's background. As far as the Supreme Court's concerned, which we'll talk about later, as of 2013, that's all they need to say. Uh, and the reason they get these dogs from Europe um, is because their standards are just way more strict. And they, like you said, basically like, let's just take this dog and train them. They're like, this dog has been bred from this lineage. Right. I don't like that, that light patch on that dog's ear. Kill it. 
don't say that. Well, they don't breed it. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Kill its g- genetic line. Right. As far as Richard Dawkins is concerned, it, they might as well be saying kill it. Neuter it. Well, and that's a big thing is they leave these uh, male dogs, they're usually male dogs, and right. leave them unneutered because that will uh, keep that aggressive streak intact. Right. Um, Which when is, it comes to the cop, it's sort of the same thing. You want the best of the best. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, ideally, yes. This is all like in ideals and in hypotheticals. It's all it all makes utter sense, and I think that's how it works out most of the time. Yeah, they, just not any cop can uh, go be a canine cop. It's you require you're required to be at the very top of your class, uh, very strong, uh, energetic personality, very outgoing, willing to work very long hours. It turns out, yeah, I did not realize this. Yeah, well, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But okay. they they say sixty hours a week. And they and that's just working. The dog lives with you. It's your dog, twenty four seven, dude. Yeah, that's and why they have such a tight bond. You are that dog's handler for its whole career. Yeah, and I think ninety nine percent of the time, these cops uh, keep these dogs after they're retired as well. Oh, I would guess so. Yeah, it'd be hard to be like, all right, go live with someone so, else. Yeah, good luck in your <laughs> retirement. All right, let's take a break here, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, dog basic training right after this. So, Chuck, the first thing that all police dogs go through is obedience training. It's kind of basic and simple, but it's also probably the most important training they go through. Sure. Especially when they're patrol dogs. Yeah. Because they have to listen to their handler or else things can go um, really bad really fast. Yeah, because their handler is going to tell them when enough is enough. Uh, and if the dog isn't understanding this and doesn't have that basic obedience then you can get in big trouble. Yes, as a as a police force and as a canine unit. Yeah, lawsuits, arrests. Well, probably not arrests. Um, Ed points. Can't arrest a dog, can you? Ed point. No, you can't. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I guess you can. In a way, the dog catcher arrests dogs. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought that was an apt analogy. Yeah. Uh, so Ed points out, or Ed dispels a myth here, actually, where um, I guess. A lot of the dogs that come over from Europe take commands in their native language, right? Zetson. Which makes total sense. Yeah. But apparently there is a myth that the reason why is because they don't want people besides the handler accidentally or purposefully setting the dog off to attack yeah. by saying the word. Not true. No, apparently it's just it's easier for the dog to retain the training it had and for the handler to just learn a, a few words in a foreign language. Yeah, it makes total sense. You're not going to get a German Shepherd that's fully trained and say, all right, now forget all that because I want to say sit and not zitzen. So zitzen <laughs> is um, sit in, so. in German. Plots. I think plots is laid down. My, my friend Clay has a German Shepherd he bought from Germany, mm-hmm. and uh, he gives uh, commands in German, hmm. which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You hear a lot of plots around his dog. I grew up with German Shepherds, a couple of them. Plots is more efficient because it's one syllable and lay down is two. Yeah. Makes those, sense. Those Germans, <laughs> they're efficient. 
what else? They can get into specialty training. They need to be, uh, well, they need to have endurance and be super agile and be, you know, physically fit dogs. But then they go through specialty training, like uh, whether it's drugs or uh, bombs. Um, I know arson is a big one now to have them seek out accelerants. Uh, they can even track people. Um, Which I didn't quite get. I get how they do it, but I don't understand how they actually do it. Well, when I've seen it on cops, it's been like they have a, a piece of clothing from okay. the guy, and then there's like he's in this attic in this house somewhere. Go okay. find him. So they have to have something to to scent the dog. Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's I did. That's what I didn't get. I mean, like if it's just some guy who ran, then the dog wouldn't really be of any use, right? No, like a, just a description of the perp wouldn't help, right? <laughs> So um, this training, actually, the the secondary training or specialty training, is actually really simple and kind of clever. And fun. It is. So the first thing the dog learns to do is to love a towel more than anything else on the planet. Yeah. It's It becomes its toy, a towel that's been washed to remove any kind of scent. So the towel doesn't have its own scent. Yeah. And the dog learns to love it by playing tug-of-war with it, right? Oh, yeah. Dogs love the tug-of-war. And then, in very short order, the cop gets his hands on a little baggie of pot and rolls it up with the <laughs> towel. Yeah. And they keep playing tug-of-war. And now, the dog's like, hey, my favorite toy smells a lot like pot. Right. Okay. Now, the next step is for the cop to hide the towel filled with pot. Mm-hmm. And the dog finds it, and then they play tug-of-war. Yeah. And eventually, the dog... We'll learn that anytime it smells pot, it thinks its toy is hiding, and it goes after it and starts digging in the place where that it smells pot, and hence the dog has just sniffed out pot, which means that s- drug sniffing police dogs are playing. Yeah, which it's I didn't pretty, realize it's until pretty, this. It's pretty awesome to think about when you see a dog clawing at the trunk of that guy's car. He's like, "My toy's in there. My toy's exactly. in there." <laughs> Uh, and then they will replace that pot with all manner of drugs uh, to cross train the dog, so they can. They'll basically out. they'll stuff that suitcase that um, that Hunter Thompson steals <laughs> yeah. from that police convention into a towel, and just we'll to train it all at once. Yeah, and, yeah. They uh, they can also do like uh, explosive components too. Sure, for bombs and then uh, accelerants. In the case of arson, uh, arson sniffing dogs are a big thing now. That's all the rage. <laughs> They're so hot right now. <laughs> and there's two ways it can alert. Uh, the aggressive alert is what we were just talking about, is when they think there's that toy and they're just clawing and pawing and trying to dig it out of your suitcase or wherever. Uh, and then there's the passive alert, and that is when you don't want a dog clawing all up in your junk and you need a little more delicate situation, which is the case with the Beagle Brigade. Yeah, they just come and they sit next to the person. That's how they um, alert. That's the it's cutest alert passive ever. Passive alert. Yeah, and that's uh, the beagle. Maybe they even like kind of cock their head toward the person a <laughs> little, couple of times. A little nod. Like, <laughs> uh, the Beagle Brigade works with the USDA, and uh, they sniff out uh, illegal produce. So you, you might have seen them at the airport here and there, yeah, too. Yeah, they wear like little, um, little vests. Yeah. But not bulletproof vests. No. But Canine police dogs, too. like patrol dogs, do. Sure. In fact, they have, uh, I think Ed mentioned a fundraiser they had to get bulletproof vests for the dogs at this one, and they, like, people just flooded them with money. Right. You know, because it's not cheap. No, I have I have no idea how much a bulletproof vest is for a canine unit. Do you? You just know the one that you have, how much that costs. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. My, my guess is 
a bulletproof vest is probably a couple of grand. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there. That's what I'd pay. <laughs> That's what you'd pay? Sure. Well, my friend, you would be taken for a ride because I like can find bucks. a canine tactical mole vest for $199. That's mm. a dubious. And apparently, number. Miami Heat star Ray Allen has a side business where he supplies canine protection and safety products. And this is the segment called Josh Reads His Phone <laughs> <laughs> on the air. You've done that before. Don't even play holier than thou. Have I? Yeah, you were looking up the name of the impossible the other day while I was yapping. Yeah, that's like the only time I've ever done that. <laughs> so, uh, let's talk about a day in the life of a dog, a canine dog. Okay. I didn't know this. Before they even go on patrol from 4 p.m. to midnight, they're going to be going to high schools and going down the hallways, sniffing at lockers. Yep. They're going to be sniffing businesses if you need a business sniffed. <laughs> like you can call them and say, "Hey, I'd like to pay." Well, I guess you can pay, right? Or uh, do you just request it. I would guess a request. The like, cops are like, "It's an investment and a bust." Right. <laughs> Good point. Uh, some days you have to go to court, and then the dog has to go to court as well. And then eventually they will actually work their shift. And this is why they work such long hours because they're busy during the day, and then they go to work at night. Yeah. When they need to be banging the streets. <laughs> yeah. And you're so tough. What? <laughs> My tough talk? Yeah. Uh, and when they're on the streets, what they're doing is, um, just like any other cop, basically, you know, you're doing a lot of sitting around and waiting on calls to come in. Then when that call comes in, you might be sniffing out a car, or you might be chasing a perp. Yeah. You could be doing both. Yeah. The dog, that is. Um, and when you are sniffing a car, if you're a dog, the Supreme Court ruled that a dog alert is enough for probable cause for a police search. Like that in and of itself. So if the dog alerts its trainer, who is, or handler, I should say, yeah. who's the only person on that scene who can read the dog's behavior necessarily, um, that, then that officer has a, um, a right to search that car. Yeah, and that's very, delicate matter because there's a lot of claims of false signals that a cop will make the dog react just so they can. Basically, the, the canine dog is a prop used to get search whenever they want. Yes. and those Some the, people say that. Those are, um, well, yeah, and uh, uh, I guess we'll talk about it later, the um, false positives. Yeah. Uh, well, that'll be quiet for now. Well, we can talk about it right now. Well, false, false positives are the thing that you um, are most concerned with with police dogs because they um, usually do not miss drugs, the presence of drugs when they are present. Right. The police dog, when it's brought around to like a car or something like that, it knows the score. It knows that it's supposed to be looking for its toy, so it's going to start sniffing around. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is it's thinking about sniffing its toy or sniffing for its toy and that's its whole thing, it's entirely possible that it's going to detect the presence of its toy, meaning drugs are there, uh, when it's not there. Um, and then it'll give it an alert, and then the, a, a full search will begin, which is not a problem when that actually results in uh, the, the, d- the discovery of drugs. Yeah. But that apparently happens, generously speaking, 
only um, like 46% of the time yeah. they they find drugs when a police dog says there's drugs there, which means like 54% of the time a police dog is saying that there's drugs there when there aren't, which means a lot of people, inno- a lot of innocent people get their, their property searched. Yeah, and there's a, a Chapel Hill, North Carolina law professor named Richard Myers who in 2006 wrote an article in the George Mason Law Review where he basically said the controlled testing to get uh, numbers on these dogs is terrible. Um, and he, he did some math based on something called the Bayesian probability formula where he said he thinks it could be as high as 85% uh, failure rate or false positive rate. Yeah. Supposedly there was, um, in Florida, there were some dogs that were being used on a stretch of a highway where they put up roadblocks a lot that were like 96% or wrong 96% of the time in the 80s or something like that. Yeah, and I think they said one of the big issues is when they're doing that, like random, not right. like, hey, I pulled someone over, but hey, I'm at the border and there's 300 cars in this line, sniff them all. Right, because the the idea is that most of those cars are going to be free of drugs. Right. But the dog's like looking for drugs. Its whole thing is it's looking for its toy. It, yeah. The context is different for the dog than the average person who's just trying to get through the border. Right. You know? Yeah. Very slippery slope. It is. And then it gets even more slippery when people, when juries convict based on um, evidence from dogs. So, for example, there was a guy named, I think his name was Paul Yell, who was convicted of intentionally burning down his own house, killing one of his kids inside because a police dog um, detected accelerants. Uh Well, a lab went behind the dog where the dog said there's an accelerant here and tested the area. And in zero of those six did it find the presence of accelerants. The jury still convicted him because the dog said that the guy had used accelerants, even though the lab couldn't verify those results. Right. Um, and there was another guy in a, a state trooper in Florida in the 80s named John Preston, who had a dog named Harass 2. <laughs> and it turned out this guy helped put away like more than 100 people. And he was basically like a framer for hire. You could bring him along and basically let him know what you were looking for. And he would say that his dog had, had found whatever evidence you needed. And at least two people were exonerated of murder um, who were convicted in part by evidence detected by this dog harassed, too, who was handled by Preston. And there's two really good documentaries. One is... Um, a killing in Canova Beach. Remember when Paula Zahn was on our episode, our podcast? Oh, uh, yeah. For the Innocence Project? It's a documentary about that. And then there's another one called An Innocent Man. It's about a guy named Michael Morton. Both of them feature this guy, John Preston, who's this notorious, infamous dog handler. Even among dog handlers, he's despised because he gave yeah, the idea name. of, of um, canine units just a really bad name. Yeah. Because everybody's like, well, if this guy's doing it, how many other people are doing it? Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you can't use canines anymore. Right. All right. Well, we'll take one more break and come back and talk some about, uh, well, what are we going to talk about? Let's talk about dogs. All right, so here's a little stat for you. Um, on a drug sweep, a canine, they're very efficient. Mm-hmm. A canine unit, the dog can cover 10 times as much 
uh, oh, ten times quicker uh, to search an area than a, a human cop could. Yeah. And be way more apt to find the drugs than a cop might. Which, again, it makes sense because if, if you can't disguise a shipment of drugs very well from a dog's nose, then you're in trouble, first of all. But also, most people are trying to disguise it from humans. Right. Which means you're trying to make it so it doesn't look like drugs. Right. But even if you go to the trouble of disguising the scent, it's still probably not going to work. Yeah. For a well-trained dog. Uh, police dogs are considered, they're kind of treated like regular cops as far as protections and the law goes. Yeah. Like, like if you shoot and kill a police dog, they treat it as if you had shot and killed a police officer. Yeah, a guy in Pittsburgh recently got three and a half to seven years for stabbing a police dog to death. Um, so I guess it's not just like it, because if you killed a cop, you'd probably go to the chair. Right. You wouldn't get three to seven years. Right. Um, in Tennessee, they recently passed a law called Aaron's Law in honor of a, a police dog that's mentioned in here that went down in, during a bank robbery. He Ugh. was killed. The bank, he kept, he kept going after this bank robber that was shooting at him. Uh, and apparently is credited for distracting the robber enough for the, the human cops to get to safety and eventually they uh, the SWAT team killed the bank robber but the dog was killed in the process but it, that was in 1998 and it wasn't until this year 2015 that Tennessee passed a law called Aaron's Law that um, makes it a felony to kill a police dog and, and intentionally kill a police dog wow I'm surprised it's just not a felony everywhere yeah it is kind of surprising uh, and then in terms of being treated like regular cops, as far as the use of force, uh, the justification is the same, uh, with the dog. Uh, and they said, and it says in this article that in, in court, typically, uh, use of force is justified if the suspect is armed, uh, if they have not yet been searched by officers or if they <clears throat> are fleeing a serious crime scene. Right. That's when you can release the hounds. Yeah. And so, like we said, usually just the, the certificates of training are enough yeah. for a court to be like, okay, it's fine. That, that dog probably didn't overstep its bounds, despite what the guy who's now suing the police department because he got bit by this police dog is saying. Yeah. Because he's a he's a trained dog, a, a trained European police dog. Um, and the track record doesn't have to come into account. It's just... That's enough for most courts to say, nope, excessive force was not used. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more stuff about this in the future. False triggers and well, dude, court rulings. Forensic forensic investigation as a whole is under a microscope like never before and, and very appropriately. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's still just based on hunches that's being passed off as science in courtrooms and people are being convicted on. Even DNA can can be very easily misused when yeah. it's not done properly. Uh, yeah, so I think it should be. Agreed. So, Chuck, there is a very famous police dog that you may have heard of. Yeah. Rin Tin Tin. <laughs> That's right. Was a German dog who fought who who fought for the Kaiser in World War One, but then the guys who were um, the unit he was a member of abandoned him. So an American said, "Hey, Pooch, come over here." And Rin Tin Tin followed him and ended up becoming a movie star in the United States. How about that? Did you know that? I did not know that. I mean, I knew about Rin Tin Tin, but I had no idea that he was a service dog. Yeah. Pretty neat. So there are actually um, 
there's a, a group called the Connecticut Police Work Dog Association, and they are involved in honoring and tracking um, police dogs who've died in the line of duty. And a surprising and very disturbing number of police dogs die in the line of duty because they're left in hot cars and forgotten about. What? Yeah. In, uh, since 1940, 2,000 dogs, police dogs, have died in the line of duty. Wow. Um, and then since 2007, 29 have died from being left in sweltering cars. Holy cow. Yeah. And the reason why is because there are um, special compartments for them to ride in. Yeah, you can't put them in there with a the perp. Yeah, that aren't necessarily air-conditioned. Oh, wow. Yeah. They need to outfit those Lincoln Navigators. did since then. Yeah, that's that should not happen. Since 2007. That shouldn't happen once. Yeah. Because it's easily preventable. It sure is. You got anything else? I got nothing else. Man, this one was chock full of stacked sets and random lots of stuff. <laughs> I was surprised when I first saw police dogs. I was like, oh, okay. And the, it was a very much more complex yeah. and interesting issue than I initially assumed it would be. Agreed. Uh, if you see a police dog, do not go up and pet it. Um, it's working. Especially if you have drugs. <laughs> right. On your person. <laughs> That's right. Uh, if you want to know more about police dogs, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Meat Pigeon. Uh, hey, guys. I've been hooked on your podcast since the first episode I listened to. I've been hooked on Meat Pigeons even longer. Uh, never thought I'd have anything uh, worth writing in about, but when I saw Tuesday's episode about pigeons... Seemed too coincidental not to. Uh, this past weekend, I received a random text from my boss asking if I wanted a pigeon. Uh, it's not as odd as you would think because I work in a pet store, and I'm known for being an animal lover, uh, animal loving vegan with an affinity for birds. As it turns out, in Sumter, South Carolina, where my boss lives, uh, is a pigeon processing plant <clears throat> where they raise utility pigeons for meat and research. Uh, my boss very easily caught a lucky escapee as he bathed in the sprinkler, unaware that he was being stalked by a resident cat. So after a few days of rooming with William, the dove I took home, when it was abandoned at my work, the pigeon now has a coop to call his own. Aww. Replacing his temporary name of Meat Pigeon <laughs> is a proper name, Ramses. I guess William was the, her boss. Yeah, I'm a little confused. <laughs> yeah. The introduction of the name Ramsey's makes me think you're probably right. Unless her boss is named Ramsey's. No, no, no. The pigeon it's is... It's a name he gave himself his... when he became manager. <laughs> it's a tribute to Ramsey's III in pigeon history, but has consequently led to my husband and I frequently singing Nacho Libre quotes to poor Ramsey's. I don't remember Ramsey's and Nacho Libre, do you? I didn't see that. Oh, you didn't? No. It's cute. Uh, the next step is to seek out some pigeon companionship for Ramsey's. Hey, now. <laughs> Thank you so much for the greatest podcast ever. I'm hoping there will be a Southeast tour and you'll pass through Columbia, South Carolina. Maybe. Uh, yeah, you might just have to drive to Atlanta. <laughs> it's not. Do it. And that is from Bree uh, Bagnall in Columbia. And she sent in pictures of Ramsey's in the coop. And he is one cute pigeon. Yeah, there are. Yeah, he is cute. There are some cute yeah. pigeons out there, I learned. As long as they're not uh, carrier pigeons. Yeah. Okay. They're usually fairly cute. Waddle. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us your amazing story about whatever, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Thank you.
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 